0: And what's going on, everyone? Welcome to Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And you can follow our socials on Twitter and on Facebook. So today, we have a great episode for you all. Uh, Really looking forward to this week. We're going to have a uh, kind of a Bruins-themed week, if you will. Um, Obviously, a lot of coverage today on the trade deadline. We will update you folks as trades come in, whether they involve the Bruins or not. You know, probably we'll skew more towards the Bruins if there's something that comes in um, in, during the duration of the podcast today. Uh, But I'm also excited we are getting Mike Craddy on the podcast this week on Guest Friday. He will return. We'll talk... Mostly Bruins' reactions to their uh, moves at the trade deadline. Obviously, we'll talk about the Hampus Lindholm trade, which I will talk about today. Uh, we'll also we'll get into that, get into any other moves that they may make today. So uh, no surprises. <laughs> We're going to get started with the Bruins this week. Obviously, the NHL trade deadline, 3 o'clock this afternoon. So uh, there have been some trades that have come in already, actually, Literally, as I just pressed record, the Minnesota Wild are acquiring Marc-Andre Fleury for a conditional second-round pick. We'll obviously circle back to that when we talk about the NHL and the trades. Um, But I think first off, we're going to start with the deal that the Bruins made on Saturday evening to acquire the Anaheim Ducks left-shot defenseman, Hampus Lindholm. He is 28 years old, and after the trade, the Bruins signing Bruins signing him to an eight-year deal worth $52 million, so $6.5 million per season. So I think to just kind of break down this trade, and then we'll talk about the extension, you know, Lindholm is a guy that the Bruins, I think, had their eyes on for a while. Um, and I think that there are a few reasons why this is a good trade. I think, first off, it gives you someone who can play top pair minutes with Charlie McAvoy, you know, someone who can play big minutes in the playoffs. Um, and I think someone who can come in and, you know, Charlie doesn't have to feel like he's, you know, that number one defenseman that has to play, you know, 30 minutes a night. You know, I think that the Bruins bringing in someone who can help kind of handle that load, I think it's huge. I think for the Bruins having two really good, you know, elite level defenders, is huge. You know, I think that it it's a game changer in terms of what Lindholm can do for that defense core that I don't think the Bruins are done adding to today. So, you know, I just think overall it's a good trade. I think getting a player like Lindholm, player of his caliber, is going to fit in really well with the Bruins and I think that you know, kind of getting into the extension, it gives the Bruins a player that is going to be under team control for probably the duration of the rest of his career. Um, and getting him at $6.5 million is, you know, pretty good, because he was making, I think his last contract with Anaheim had him making $5.2 million a season. Bruins acquire him at 50% of his salary. So, I think, you know, it's, it's a move where... You know, sure he is getting a, a pay a pay a pay raise from, you know, five point two to six point five, but it's not anything that's gonna break the bank. It's not like he's signing for, you know, seven or seven and a half million. I think that this is something that gives the Bruins a really good top four defense group that is signed and under contract for at least the next three seasons. When you think about Grizzlick, McAvoy, Carlo and now Lindholm, uh, I think it's a great trade. You know, I think that it's Lindholm as a player that was going to be a pretty sought-after guy, and the fact that the Bruins, you know, could get a guy like this really speaks a lot to Don Sweeney and what he was able to get done. Obviously, the Bruins did give up a good amount of stuff, but it wasn't anything that is going to break the bank. You know, I think getting off of John Moore's contract is huge. Losing Vakaninen I think, hurts. Just because he had played really well at times this season, you know, really didn't look out of place in the games that he played. But I think the good thing is the Bruins do have someone in Jakob Zaborl, who, you know, obviously is not going to play the rest of this season, but is a good young left-shot defenseman. So the Bruins probably felt that they could trade one of them, Zaborl or Vakaninen and, end, you know, I think it makes sense. Vakenine is a guy who, you know, can probably play right away in Anaheim. The Bruins also giving up a also giving up their first round pick in this year's draft, um, and then second round picks in next year's draft, and then the draft in twenty twenty four. So overall, you know, this is a good trade. I think that you know there are some people that are concerned about the length of the deal. Eight years is a long time, you know, and I think that that's legitimate. But again, I think the 6.5 million a year kind of makes it palatable I think it would be different if he had signed for you know seven or seven and a half million then I think you're like okay this is you know kind of an unnecessary contract but I think 6.5 million it makes it reasonable that if the Bruins feel the need to trade someone like Lindholm four or five years down the line you know it might be somewhat palatable for another team bringing him on but then again That's a conversation that we don't need to be having anytime, you know, anytime soon. So I think he obviously makes a huge difference for the Bruins defensively. I still personally would like to see them add a little bit more specifically on the right side. But I think the Bruins going after and getting Lindholm, who is a known commodity, is, you know, dependable, as Ty Anderson said in his article on 98.5.com. You know, he's dependable and he's a guy that you can count on. And I think the price for someone like Jacob Chikrin was probably going to be too high. The Bruins bring in Lindholm, who, you know, I think if he doesn't sign an extension, it's probably too much to give up. But I think you're giving him an eight year deal. He's going to be here for the prime years of his career. And, you know, those picks are tough to give up. But I think you bring in a player who can help you now and can help you in the future and kind of roll in that next core of the team that, you know, this current core with Marchand and Bergeron is, you know, nearing the end of its rope. But then you have guys like Pasternak, Taylor Hall, Charlie McAvoy, Jeremy Swayman that, you know, Lindholm can be a part of that next wave Um, and the Bruins can be a team that maybe doesn't have to go through a, colossal rebuild in two or three years so you know overall great trade I think it makes a lot of sense for the Bruins Um, obviously a bit of news coming along earlier this morning the Bruins have signed Jake DeBrusque to a two-year extension worth four million a season so you know naturally there are some people that are confused by this you know I think based on his trade request obviously but the thought process here, I believe, is that the Bruins are signing him so that he can be under contract for the next two seasons. The thing with him is he, you know, is in a contract year and had, you know, was going to get a qualifying offer that was going to be pretty hefty. And so I think if the Bruins are to trade him, they want to have him under contract so that another team doesn't have to worry about re-signing him long-term. So I think it means one of two things. I think it means either he is getting traded today and the Bruins are, you know, doing a side sign and trade, so to speak, um, or this means that the Bruins are going to keep him on the roster into the summer and then they trade him in the summer, you know, to a team that is willing to, you know, take on that, that salary and then he can reach, you know, UFA status in a few years as opposed to RFA, so... I think, you know, as kind of a primer, you know, restricted free agent is a player that can sign a contract elsewhere, but the current team can choose to match that offer. You know, unrestricted free agent means that you're free to sign with any team. So, you know, I think again, like it tells you one of two things, either he is being moved this afternoon or he is going to be moved in the summer. So You know, it's going to be curious to see. I've heard some things floating around that, you know, the Bruins may look to trade him, maybe try to upgrade at that second line center spot. Do they try to bring in a wing? You know, as I mentioned, I think I would like them to upgrade at right defense. You know, I've said my piece about Connor Clifton many times. Um, I just think that he is better suited to be kind of an extra defenseman, someone who can come in off the bench every so often and give the team a jolt. I just don't think that in the playoffs, he's someone that I have a lot of confidence in um, as a third pair D. And so I think bringing in someone, for example, like Justin Braun, you know, gives the Bruins someone who can play big minutes. He's having a good season. He's an experienced player um, and has a little bit of nasty, you know, and Clifton does too. Clifton absolutely does bring it every so often, but I just think that he is still prone to a lot of mistakes um in the defensive zone and being too over aggressive. So we'll see what the Bruins do in terms of that. Obviously, we will keep you updated throughout the ep- throughout the episode if there are any trades that involve uh the Bruins. We'll do kind of the other NHL moves later in the podcast. Um so the Bruins obviously uh, <laughs> Bruins obviously do have a game tonight. Um, in Montreal against the Canadians, Bruins, um, and the Canadians meeting for the first time since January twelfth, the New Year. Bruins have won two of the three matchups. There is one more matchup in late April that the Bruins will play. So this is an interesting game because Montreal obviously have had their have had their struggles this season. I think that that's pretty obvious, but I will say. That the team has been playing better since, you know, bringing in Marty St. Louis as head coach and have been playing at a really good clip recently. You know, I think that they are something like something like 9-3 in their last 12. So, you know, this is not the typical, you know, bad team that is playing badly and they are just you know, looking towards next season, you know, this is a team that I think has some talent and I think the Bruins are going to be, you know, in a little bit of a tough spot tonight because I think Montreal is a team that plays really hard. And I think, you know, the Bruins obviously missing Patrice Bergeron, um, you know, could be, could be in store for a tough game. Um, you know, I think when you look at all three of the or the previous two matchups, you know, both of those games are coming when the Canadians are playing, you know, terrible hockey, and I think, you know, this is, this is a different team. Um, Cole Caulfield, uh, obviously, coming into the game, seven points in his last five. Uh, Rem Pitlick has played really well since coming over from uh, Minnesota. And then Jake Allen just returned from injury a couple of games ago, so it'll be interesting to see if he starts for Montreal, or do they go with Montembeau? The Bruins also have, you know, an interesting question in terms of who will start tonight. Um, Obviously, the Bruins had a solid win in Winnipeg in their last game with Olmark. You know, it was interesting. He didn't face a lot of—he did not, you know, overall did not face a lot of shots, but I think, you know, faced a lot of high-danger shots, especially in the first and second period um, and he was one of the big reasons why the Bruins were able to win. So, you know, with the extra day off, I'm curious to see if he starts or do they go back to Swayman, um, who last played in Minnesota, the Bruins losing that game 4-2. to So I think, you know, Bruins could, could easily go either way, but I think they have to be careful um, because this is a Montreal team that could absolutely beat them um, if they're not careful. Uh, Charlie Coyle, Craig Smith, that third line has been on fire recently which has been good to see Jack Stadnica got some minutes on the top line last game with Debraska and Marchand so that probably is will be that probably will happen again tonight you know obviously assuming that Jack doesn't get traded or Jake Debraska does, doesn't get traded um, because that certainly could play into tonight's game you know if the Bruins are to trade either one of those guys um, but I think I did see something where, there was a Panthers player, I think Owen Tippett, who was traded to Philadelphia, but then ended up playing for the Panthers. So I'd be curious to see if, you know, that's the case. If DeBrusks, then he could get traded. You know, could they still play tonight? You know, probably not. Um, but I think the Bruins, you know, called up Mark McLaughlin, who they signed to a two-year entry-level deal. He had played at BC Um you know, they did bring him up for practice a couple of days ago, so, you know, the Bruins probably do have reinforcements that can play in case of emergency, in case either one of those guys get traded. Um, but I think the Coil line has been excellent. It's been good to see Charlie Coyle, you know, playing at an even higher level that he's played at for the majority of the season. You know, I think he's been one of the most consistent, if not the most consistent forward on the team this year, Um And he's really starting to hit his stride, as is Craig Smith. You know, the two of them have been excellent, and Trent Frederick has been really good too. So I think that that's a line that, you know, tonight should be able to continue to to cook. You know, I think Montreal is not a great defensive team. They allowed a lot of shots. So, you know, this is a game that I think that line could certainly... Take over and could certainly play big minutes, um, just because I think with the volatility of today, being the deadline, if guys get traded, you know there could be a lot of moving parts and you know it complicates things that Bergeron's not available. So, but I do I do like the Bruins tonight. You know I think Montreal certainly could present could present a unique challenge. You know just a team that obviously, for the majority of the season, has been one of the worst teams in the league, but they've been playing really well recently. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see. But again, the Bruins have also played really well. They've won um, nine, I think, nine of their last 11, 10 out of their last 12, or whatever it is. But I think, you know, it could be a good test for them tonight. And then speaking of tests, the Bruins have a couple of Interesting division games coming up that I think are going to tell us a lot in terms of how do those new acquisitions play, including Lindholm. You know, how do the Bruins look against Tampa Bay and then Toronto next week? Toronto, they are chasing in the standings. They can actually draw even with the Leafs if they get a win tonight. But obviously, big game against Tampa Bay. Bruins have not really don't think that they have played Tampa Bay in a very long time. Uh, I do recall one game that the Bruins won 4 to 1. It was early early in the season. Um, but this will be interesting. You know, that's a team that you will be ma- you know matching yourself up against. You know, in terms of judging whether you are a legit contender, you know, and then also, you know, sizing up a team that you very you very well you you might well face in the in the playoffs. Um, and Toronto as well you know the Bruins know them very well but you know they haven't seen them in a while you know that's a team that can score with the best of them you know getting a couple of pieces the other day um, in Mark Giordano and Colin Blackwell we'll talk about that trade uh, later but I think both of these games are pretty huge um, you also have the Islanders coming in this weekend uh, which will be you know an interesting game at 12 30 start so uh, Lightning is their next game on Thursday, Bruins obviously in Montreal tonight finishing up their four game road trip. So I think that will probably do it for the Bruins. We will circle back to them if there are any trades that come up between now and the end of the episode. So we'll keep you updated on that on Jake debrusk, Jack Stetnika, anyone that I think is worth watching. So another team, Speaking of road trips, another team that is uh, finishing off a dominant road trip tonight in Oklahoma City, the Boston Celtics, who are playing at the highest level that we've seen them play in three years, at least. You know, I really think this is the best that this team has looked in a very long time. You know, you have guys that are settling into their roles you are, you know, dominating teams, you are not just, you know, beating teams, you're beating bad teams, you're beating good teams, you're winning a lot of games. And it's just so interesting that, you know, maybe it just was the first couple of months that took the Celtics some time to get going, you know, adjust to things, dealing with COVID, dealing with injuries. You know, this team has been healthy for a majority of the last few months. And they're playing basketball at the level that I think we all expected them to be playing right out of the gate. But then again, you know, it is difficult when you, you know, have a coach that's been with your team for for eight years and you're bringing in a new coach, bringing in, you know, new assistant coaches, you know, new people around the team, a new way that you're playing offense, most likely. And, you know, Brad Stevens certainly does still have the, in, does have influence in this organization as the, you know, head of basketball operations. But I think, you know, anytime you bring in a new coach, there's going to be an adjustment period. And the Celtics had theirs for the first couple months of the season with that, but then also with the COVID and with the injuries. So, you know, it's taken them a little bit, but I think now they're playing at a level that is, you know, one of the best, if not the best, in the NBA. You know, the way that they are playing, the way that they've played over the last few months, it's pretty impressive. So, you know, good start to the road trip with a big win over the Warriors. Steph Curry obviously getting hurt in that game, and, you know, naturally you have the people that, you know, don't believe that this team is good based on the fact that they're winning games and winning games against teams that maybe have guys out or not, you know, which is just Completely without truth. You know, you saw the Celtics, Jason Tatum, go toe-to-toe with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and beat them. You saw the Celtics beat John Moran, the Grizzlies. You saw the Celtics beat, you know, Jokic, the current MVP, and the Nuggets last night. That game was not even close. The Celtics absolutely destroyed them. And, you know, if that doesn't convince you that they are a real team, I really don't know what to tell you. You know, that was a throttling of one of the better teams in the league, and the Celtics made Jokic look like just a regular player. You know, 23 points, 8 rebounds, 3 assists. Now, those are still pretty good numbers from, you know, an NBA player standpoint, but the guy who is the current MVP, you know, the Celtics just made them look like they were a G League team, and it's just kind of amazing to see them play at such a high level offensively, being able to move the ball, move it effectively, being able to play lockdown defense against some of the best players in the league. It's just been great to watch. You know, I think it's one of those things that, you know, finally, this is a team that you can get excited about. This can be a team that you can go into any game be feeling like they have a chance to win any game that they can play you know, even if it's against super talented teams, um, you don't really seem to be worrying about teams that, you know, they should be, you know, and they're beating them and they're beating them soundly. So obviously it's been great to watch. It's been really fun. You know, I think I wish I could, you know, break it down a little bit more, but they've been great. They've been really fun to watch. So, um, one of the things, though, that I think is interesting that I feel like has come up a couple times in the last few weeks is the idea of rest and the Celtics with obviously 10 games remaining in the regular season. I think there's a legit conversation about should they rest some guys and try to you know stay fresh for the playoffs. And I do understand that. I do get it, but I think the Celtics are a team that I think they're not on the older side and they don't really have a lot of older guys that they feel like they need to to rest. You know, Al Horford, I think is a name that, that comes up in terms of, okay, do the Celtics give him a game off on a back-to-back, you know, like tonight? You know, but I think in terms of the Celtics roster, I don't think this is really a roster that you look at and say, oh, you know, these guys need rest. I mean, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, they're 24, 25, however old they are. And, you know, they got—they—they they have young legs. Um, and I think, you know, it's it's understandable. But at the same time, with the way this team is playing, I'm, I'm not trying to rest guys and, and lose momentum. You know, the Celtics are playing like the best team in the NBA right now. And that's not hyperbole. Like, they have, you know, the best defense in the NBA. They have the best point differential. They have you know, historically a very good point differential. Um, There was something, There's some stat on Twitter that I saw earlier today that they are, you know, one of, I think it's like their top 11 in terms of point differential all time. And the 10 other teams that had, you know, better point differentials, you know, won the NBA championship or made the Eastern Conference Final. There was only one team that didn't make a conference final or win a championship, so that you know it tells you the Celtics are not only playing well, but playing at a really historic level. Um, I'm not gonna, not gonna look at that and say, "Oh, look, you know they're a team that should be a favorite to win the NBA championship." That's not what I'm saying, but I think you really, you really have to look at how this team is playing, and I think the last thing that you want to do with this group is you know, lose that momentum. And I know, and I recognize the Celtics are probably not going to be playing like this the rest of the season. They probably won't be playing like this in the playoffs. Um, because I think as much as, you know, people might be surprised to hear me say this, I think that, sure, is there a little bit of credence to the fact that the Celtics have been playing some easier opponents? I think that that's, you know fairly legitimate but i think you know th- to me there's a difference between you know just saying a team is just playing well based on their schedule you know or you know well i think what i'm trying to say is trying to say is it's not cut and dried it's not like oh they're not a good team because they're playing bad teams like i wouldn't make it as black and white as that but i think yes they are playing Some teams that I think are are easier to beat, but it's like, it's the NBA. You know, like the Celtics are not the only team that has ever benefited from a weak schedule. You know, we can't pretend like the Celtics are the only team that have ever gone through this. Um, And I think, I think just from the perspective of how well they're playing, I don't really think it makes sense to be resting guys, and you know getting guys ready for the playoffs i mean this team has been in playoff mode for the past couple weeks they've been playing really really well so i don't think it's anything to be concerned about i mean i think you start you would start getting into the getting into the resting thing when there are you know two three games left in the regular season and the celtics are you know locked into a certain seating Mm -hmm. then i think you would start thinking about it but i think You got 10 games to go. You should try to win as many games as you can. And you could try to see how high you can get Easter Conference. You know, I know that there is a legitimate concern of, you know, playing the Nets in the first round of the playoffs. That's something I'd like to avoid. But again, you know, you don't want anything to break the momentum. You want this team to continue to play the way that they're playing, moving the basketball, getting Jalen and Jason into an offensive rhythm. They've been on fire the last couple games, you know, the two of them have been really excellent. And I think taking that next step in terms of two guys that can easily get 30 points a game and they can do it together and be equally as dangerous. And I think, you know, this is a playoff run that you will see the two of them work together and work well together. Not that they haven't done it already, you know, which is kind of kind of blows my mind the amnesia that some people have or pretend to have like they don't work well together. It's like, no, they have, and they have historically done it twice. So, you know, or two teams that have almost gotten to the NBA Finals. So I think it's it does work. You know, anyone that told you that they didn't work is just lying and just making stuff up. But I think, you know, one of the things I noticed last night is you have these two guys that are playing at an elite level offensively, and I think two different skill sets, you know, and two different guys that can attack defenses, and I think it makes them very dangerous in the playoffs because, you know, a defense will try to focus on one of those guys, but what happens if two of those guys are playing? You know, who do you focus on when Jalen Brown is slashing to the basket and doing anything he wants? Or Jason Tatum, you know, taking those threes off screens? driving to the basket you know the two of them playing at the high level that they're playing at makes the Celtics really hard to stop Um, and I think that what that is what makes this team exciting you know I think seeing Jalen and Jason kind of take that next step and be those superstar players that can take over playoff series and you know be the difference in terms of the Celtics advancing or not so it's a really exciting time to watch the two of them together. Um, I'm curious to see how the game against the Thunder tonight goes. You know, do the Celtics think about resting anyone on a back to back? On a back to back. What do they do with guys' minutes? Because honestly, some of the you know end of the bench guys got some good minutes last night. You know, thanks to the score. So curious to see. You know, if they get more minutes tonight, you know, the Thunder are obviously a bad team, but they're a team that you should take seriously. You know, they're a team that has a good a good group of young talent that I think is still figuring out how to be successful in the NBA. But they're a team that I think can be highly motivated. So I think the Celtics have to kind of continue the momentum um, of what they've been doing offensively, you know, putting up 120-plus in the last two games tells you that they're really clicking offensively you know this is a team that in the last couple of weeks has not scored you know under 100 points you know really the last time they did minus the dallas game uh honestly cannot find a game trying to go through the rest of their schedule um the last time that they have scored fewer than 100 points is january 28th against the hawks you know, one away, ninety-two loss. The Celtics have lost three games since then, which is uh, pretty remarkable. But you know, it's interesting to see how they close out the road trip, and then you got some you ha- you have some tough games the rest of the week. Um, you have Utah at home on Wednesday, and then Minnesota at home Sunday night. So I think both of those teams, Western Conference teams, that I think will will almost certainly be in the playoffs. So I think those will be. Good measuring stick games. Then they got Toronto and Miami coming up. Those are two pretty big games. You don't have to, you don't have to say that twice. Those are going to be pretty important games uh, for the Celtics. But I think the great news is they're continuing to play good basketball. You know, I would caution some people that they may not be able to play this way the rest of the season. Um, you know, and not trying to get too ahead of ourselves. But I think it's clear that. If the Celtics are playing this type of suffocating defense, Marcus Smart is distributing the basketball, they're getting good contributions off the bench from people like Peyton Pritchard and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown continue to play at this high level. I mean, there's, there's nothing this team can't accomplish. Um, you know, this is a team that I think, you may not look at it and say they're a championship contender, but I think... May be very surprised at what they can do uh, this spring, you know. And maybe there's an outside chance of getting to an NBA Finals. Maybe there's an outside chance of winning a championship, you know. Which just is is crazy to believe how different, how much things have changed in the last three months. But the important thing is, and the most important thing I will stress to you all is, they're a fun team to watch. You know, they're a team that is playing hard for each other and. It's a team that you can get behind. You know, this is a team that I think you can feel happy with what they accomplished this season, and you can feel happy about this season and the way that they've played. So I think, you know, big games coming up, but I think don't forget that this team has really come a long way, and I think really still can accomplish um, some big things come playoff time. So I think that's probably going to do it for uh, the Celtics. We're now going to get to... Talking about the Patriots. And yeah, I'm not going to lie, it's been a very interesting last few weeks with this team um, in terms of free agency. And, you know, I will say, unfortunately, but not surprising, there are a lot of people out there that are trying to sound the alarms and, you know, make you nervous about this team. I'm not one of those people. And I think you should know that by now, based on, you know, if you've listened to this podcast weeks and even the last few years you know you know that i am not someone that is going to make things sound really bad you know i'm going to try to be as realistic as honest as i can without trying to you know lead you in a certain way because i have a particular axe to grind Um, i think some people will be concerned about the lack of activity with this team Um, but i think The Patriots are doing things the way that they've always done things. And I know last year certainly was an outlier, you know, considering how much money they spent, um, you know, how many holes they needed to fill on that defense. And I think it made sense. You know, the Patriots came into last offseason with a lot of cap space and felt the need that, okay, we need to go out and we need to make a bunch of big splashes to, You know set this team up for success in the next few years and that's exactly what they did now did all of the free agent signings work out no not necessarily you know did all the pieces fit together perfectly no some of them did some of them did fit very well you know when you think about guys like matt judon hunter henry kendrick bourne you know some guys certainly did disappoint like johnny smith like nelson aguilar but For the most part, the Patriots were successful in what they could do with that much cap space. Now, the Patriots do not have as much cap space this spring. um, And it kind of blows my mind that people either don't understand or they don't want to understand that the Patriots do not have as much cap space. And so, therefore, they are trying to be a little more frugal with the way that they are approaching free agency. Now, is it the flashiest way? Is it the sexiest way to approach free agency? No. Have there been other teams that have made splashy free agent moves and trades? Absolutely. But I think there is something to be said for this organization, not doing what other teams are doing and not paying attention to the moves that other people are making, that you make moves to improve your football team based on what you feel are big needs or bigger needs. And you should not be making free agent moves. You should not be approaching the offseason the same way another team does. And, you know, making moves solely just to match other teams' moves. Bring in, you know, brand name players that other teams are just for the sake of doing that. It's just... It kind of is, you know, incredible to me that it seems like every single off season we cycle through the same thing. The Patriots let key players go. They sign other free agents that, you know, end up... You know, I don't want to say doing just as well, but they end up being, you know, okay. You know, like, for years they have let big-name free agents go and they've managed just fine. And I don't seem to, to think that it's any different because they've let J.C. Jackson go or, you know, traded Jack Mason or whatever. You know, it's—they're they, they, doing things the same way that they've always done things. They're not going to overvalue players. You know, they are not going to sign players for more than what their value is. And I think that's what's happening. People might be frustrated by that, but I think you have to come to expect that this is the way the Patriots approach— player personnel moves and you know I really don't know what else to tell you other than you know I think this is a well-coached team always has been you know you have good veteran leadership on this team that you have brought back and you know they will add something to your team when you look at some of the guys who have returned James White uh, you know Juwan Bentley you know we talked about Devin McCourty Matt Slater Ryan Hoyer last week. The Patriots also today bringing back Trent Brown for two years. You know, I think there's something to be said for bringing back known commodities, bringing back guys that you know will be able to fill a role. You know, James White, the Patriots missed him a lot last season, you know, in terms of getting someone that could come out of the backfield and catch passes And Brandon Bolden, I thought, did an admirable job last year. You know, I think did as well as you could expect for someone kind of trying to replace that role. But now the Patriots have James White back, and he's someone who can be a security blanket of sorts for Mac Jones, for someone that when things break down downfield, he can dump it off to James White, and he can make moves. You know, I think... There's guys like that that serve a purpose. You know, Trent Brown obviously is a big anchor on that offensive line. He serves a purpose. Juwan Bentley was one of their best defenders last year and I think has shown a great improvement from the year before. And I think that he has definitely earned a two-year extension. And so I think, sure, are these moves the, the sexiest in the world? No. Are they the flashiest? No but there are moves that are going to help your team. And I think people are getting a little bit taken away from all these big moves that have happened around the NFL. And they kind of, you know, eyes go big when Devontae Adams gets traded to the Raiders, you know, your antenna, your antenna stands up like, Oh wow, this is crazy. You know? And I think, I can't believe I have to say this, but you don't win championships in March. You don't win championships based on how much you spend in free agency. You know, it just is kind of interesting to me how there are people last year that were complaining about the Patriots spending all this money and, you know, saying the same thing that I'm saying right now, that you don't win championships in March. But then those are the same people that are complaining that they're not spending enough money. You know, just is kind of interesting how that works. But look, I think, are all these moves to make the team better immediately? Maybe not. The Patriots trading Shaq Mason, I think, certainly does create a hole on their offensive line. You know, the Patriots may be looking at James Ferentz. And some other young players to be able to kind of fill that fill that fill that void. You know, does Shaq Mason make them a better team? Absolutely. I think losing him is tough. But I think the Patriots are, you know, looking for kind of I don't want to say creative ways, but creative ways to kind of help improve the team. And I think Shaq Mason, you know, you trade him, you save some money. And I think the Patriots and Bill Belichick have always been looking two, three steps ahead. You know, they're never going to make a kind of ill-advised move. Now, certainly has that happened? Absolutely. No team and no general manager, no organization is perfect in that respect. But I think more often than not, the Patriots look ahead and try to get value for players when... They kind of know that maybe they're on the way out. Now, do they do it perfectly every single time? No. You know, did they get enough for Shaq Mason? Probably not. Did they get enough for Stephon Gilmore? You know, perhaps not. But I think this is, again, a team that does things the way that they've always done things. And I think you should not be freaking out at other teams' big moves and being like, oh, wow, the Patriots are, you know you know steps behind you know the Cincinnati Bengals certainly are they shoring up their offensive line absolutely do you really expect them to get back to the Super Bowl next year you know I don't know about that you know I think that certainly Las Vegas is making a lot of moves but you know again you don't win Super Bowls in March you don't you know make the playoffs in March you know The Patriots have plenty of time to figure out the rest of their roster. You still have the draft. You still have free agent guys that you can look at. You know, the Patriots hosting Leonard Fournette and Malcolm Butler today. Two guys that I think certainly could help the team going forward. You know, I think... You know, it's... What? Less than a week that free agency has been open and... We still don't know what this team is going to look like in training camp. We still don't know what they're going to look like week one of the season. You know, we still don't know what they're going to look like week five of the season. You know, it's... Things can change very quickly in the NFL, and I think the Patriots are one of those teams that they're going to do things the way that they've always done them and are not going to pay attention to other teams maybe making splashy moves because it doesn't always work. So... You know, one of the other things, the Patriots did bring in uh, Ty Montgomery, who had previously played for the Saints and the Packers, plays wide receiver and can play running back. I think he's had some snaps there. So he's kind of a, a Swiss Army knife, if you will, for the offense. So I'm curious to see what the plan is for him. Because with the Patriots, you know, moving on from Gunnar Olszewski, do the Patriots put Ty Montgomery in a return-type situation? You know, do they use him in the backfield? Do they use him as a receiver? You know, I think he's a guy that is very similar to Cordero Patterson in you can use him in a variety of different ways. You can get him the football in a variety of different ways. And so I think that's something to keep your eye on in terms of what he can do. Um, You know, very curious to see how they utilize him. But I think... He's a versatile player on offense, and I think the Patriots need guys like that. I know that he is not Allen Robinson. I know that he is not Chujo Smith-Schuster, but he is someone that can be as effective in your offense as someone like that could be in a different offense. It's all about, I think, understanding your system and understanding what you have and trying to improve upon that, you know, the Patriots have always been this way. I hate to keep beating a dead horse, but, you know, they've been doing things this way, and it's worked. They've been doing things like this for 20-plus years, and it's worked. And so I just think it shouldn't be any different now. You know, so I think that's really all I'm going to Oh, That's all I'm really going to leave you with with the Patriots. But, you know, obviously as free agency rolls on, as we get closer to the draft continue to update you guys on all things Patriots so that being said we will move on to um, another Boston team the Red Sox who are yes back in action playing spring training we'll update you on how the team is doing in a minute but the Red Sox making waves with uh, Trevor Story being signed to a six-year 140 million dollar deal Obviously, he has spent the majority of his career in Colorado. Uh, it was a first-round pick of the Rockies in 2011. Does have a track record of being a really excellent hitter. Hits two seventy two for his career. Um, you know, obviously, they're legit. I don't want to say concerns exactly, but... There's some legit thoughts about you know him coming from Coors Field in Colorado, where you know the air is thinner and it leads players to hit better. But you know you're coming to Fenway Park, which is you know I would say one of the if not the best hitters park in Major League Baseball. So I think that really shouldn't be too much of a concern for people. Um, he did have a bit of a down year last year; hit only two fifty one, um, but did miss a good portion of last season you know only 20 games but i think that kind of led to him having the season that maybe he wasn't accustomed to you know had career highs and home runs and rbis in 2018 made the all-star team at 18 and 19 you know for his career you know averages about 35 home runs and 100 rbis so the Celtic or excuse me the Red Sox adding a huge bat in their lineup which I think was really was really clear that they needed another person I think think especially after uh, Kyle Schwarber signed a deal with the Phillies so I think there was a hole the Red Sox bringing in another big bat someone that can play in the middle infield obviously he is a shortstop and I think he's willing to move over to second base to accommodate the Red Sox infield so I think It's a great signing. You know, I think he's a player that is a good defensive player, um, is a great offensive player, can hit for power, can hit for average, and I think it's really going to help kind of solidify your offensive group with, you know, already having J.D. Martinez, Bogarts, Devers, you know, someone like Alex Verdugo, someone like Bobby Dahlbeck, who I think the Red Sox are hoping can build off of the second half last year that he had. So I think it's a good signing. You know, I think that a lot of people are worried about what this means for Bogarts. Now, I tweeted yesterday that he has an opt-out in his contract after this season, and I don't know, it's strange to me the way that people were talking that, you know, oh, he needs a new contract, and, you know, there's just the opt-out, and I think if he chooses not to opt-out, then you know, what do you need, what do you need to sign him to a contract for? So I don't know, it's just strange. You know, I think maybe people think he is going to opt out, but you know, something that was kind of interesting about the Trevor Story signing is apparently Bogarts was part of the recruitment effort to get him to the Red Sox. So, you know, that doesn't tell me that he's planning to, you know, test free agency. You know, that would tell me that He wants him to be a part of this Red Sox team for the next few years, and undoubtedly he would want to be part of it. So, you know, I think that that you know recruitment effort puts a little bit of water on that you know talk that you know Bogarts might be might be leaving. You know, it's he's not a free agent, and I think I hope people understand that he's not a free agent at the end of the season. He just hasn't opt out. And so, yeah, could the Red Sox sign him to a new contract? I mean, I guess, but I think, you know, Rafael Devers and getting him signed long-term is much more of of a priority, you know, than thinking about whether Bogarts is going to, you know, opt out or not. Now, certainly he could get a lot more money, I think, if he does opt out, but, you know, he could just decide that he just wants to be here and doesn't want to deal with the contract stuff, you know, obviously. There are people that are probably going to talk about this the whole season, which is going to be really frustrating. But I think for right now, you have a really good player in Trevor Story that you can put into the middle of this lineup offensively. And he's a good defensive player too. So it's a good signing. I'm curious to see if the Red Sox do anything else. Do they bring in an outfielder? You know, very curious to see what happens with that. But I'm really happy that they could bring in someone like Trevor Story and people can stop complaining about how the Red Sox are cheap like Tampa Bay and don't spend any money. So, you know, that is also a part of it that I was kind of getting sick of. You know, it's the Red Sox had this same approach last off season, didn't spend a lot of money, two wins from the World Series. So I think that kind of works. You know, so it just was interesting that, you know, they choose to sign a big money free agent and, you know. I don't know, you know, just burns that stereotype to the ground that they are, you know, not spending any money, you know. So, I don't know, that whole conversation just is really frustrating. Um, But hey, they got Trevor Story, they got a really good offensive player that I think is going to make a huge difference in terms of what they can do offensively to compete with some other teams that have brought in a lot of offensive firepower. So, really happy with that signing. Speaking of Bobby Dahlbeck, in terms of the Red Sox hoping that he can kind of pick it up. He's had an excellent start to spring training. He's hit a number of home runs. And that's really good to see. The Red Sox, I don't think, have lost in spring training. I believe that Nathan Navaldi made his first start of the spring with three innings. You know, it's excellent to see that Dahlbeck is, is hitting really well because I think that he's some, he's someone who, you know, he can hit well and he can perform the way he did. In the second half last year, you know, it makes this Red Sox lineup a lot more dangerous and I think makes them a team that could be a favorite in the American League. And obviously, there are a lot of teams that have brought in a lot of talent. I feel like I'm saying the same thing that I said for the Patriots, that, you know, other teams are are bringing in a lot of talent. But again, this also kind of brings into focus the idea that, you should focus on you. You shouldn't focus on what other teams are doing. Uh, so very interesting indeed. Um, some of those conversations, but really happy for uh, Bobby with a good start. Hopefully he can start off the season on high note as well. Um, Red Sox hosting the Braves at 105 this afternoon. That will be their fifth spring training game. Red Sox are 4-0. and oh another bit of news last week chris sale um, is going to be hurt for a good portion of the first half of the season with um, i think some uh, it's not torn it's like something in, in something in his rib cage that i think is um, bothering him so he probably will be out for a good period but it creates opportunities for other guys in the rotation to really kind of grab a hold and see what they can do you know evaldi pavetta those are going to be kind of your main guys. But how does someone like Tanner Houck pitch? You know, what do the Red Sox do with someone like Rich Hill or Michael Waka? You know, I'm curious to see what opportunities this creates for some other starting pitchers that are, you know, hoping to get some time. I think Tanner Houck is definitely the guy that you look at and say, okay, you know, the Red Sox probably give him a tremendous opportunity to start a lot of games in the early part of this season. How does he respond? Um, He's someone who I think does have really, really good stuff. um, But I think he needs to get off to a good start. You know, the pitching staff really needs to get off to a good start so the Red Sox can, you know, try to withstand losing sale for the first couple months of the season. You know, really unclear about whether when he would be able to come back. But I think... You know again it creates opportunities for some guys on this team that i think hopefully they can you know take advantage of so i think that probably is going to be it for the red sox we will move on to another local team the revolution who i am uh, i'll be honest i'm not as positive about them as i am about some other teams uh, the revolution have had a pretty rocky start to the season um you know, first last week losing in the CONCACAF Champions League, you know, blowing a 3-0 lead in that first leg. Pumas wins 3-0 in the second leg, and then they win win on penalty kicks. And um, I will probably state the obvious, that the Revolution are really struggling defensively um, in that kind of back, in that kind of last third of the field. They're really having a hard time guys just are not are not playing well you know Earl Edwards I think as good as he played in the first couple games you know it's obvious that the Revolution do not have a goalkeeper right now that can bail them out and I think some of their defensive deficiencies are kind of coming to light where it's like okay you don't have a goaltender who can mask some of the issues that you had at times last season and they're really struggling and I think it's obvious from some of the goals that Pumas scored in that second leg game, you know, and then some goals that Charlotte scored on Saturday as the Revolution lost their second straight MLS game. So I think, you know, one of the good, the, 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 the only good thing I think about this is it's early in the season. The Revolution still have a lot of opportunity to kind of figure out what that back line is going to look like for the majority of the season. And I think, you know, certainly there've been some guys who've been out, you know, Henry Kessler, I believe has been out with, with injury. Omar Gonzalez is, um, having a hard time. You know, he doesn't really look as nimble as he used to. And perhaps he's never been, you know, a nimble player, but I think you can tell that he's kind of not really playing at the level that he needs to play. Um, you know, and obviously, not having Matt Turner back there, you know, is tough. And I think, you know, a lot of the th- a lot of things, there's a there's a combination of a lot of things for why they're not playing well. I think that, you know, offensively, they're still trying to look for a rhythm. Those they're still trying to, you know, accommodate Sebastian Laget into the offense. Josie Altidore started some games. I think there's just a lot of moving parts in terms of the forwards that I think, they still haven't gotten, you know, a, a rhythm going. And I think, obviously, as more games happen, you know, that will probably help them. You know, the Revolution do have two weeks off before their next game against the New York Red Bulls, so perhaps, you know, that's the time that the Revolution can work on some things in training and try to be a better defensive team. Because I think, as I said, you know, Earl Edwards is a goaltender that I think, will probably play the majority of this season for the Revolution, specifically after Matt Turner leaves for the Premier League. And so I think the defense in front of him has to be a lot better because I think they're not going to be able to get by with some of the mistakes that they've not been getting away with, I think, recently. That I think you don't have a goaltender that's going to be able to bail you out. And I think the defense has to be a lot stronger if the Revolution are going to be you know, a good team in the Eastern Conference. But again, it's still early. There's still a lot of room for improvement. And I think this is still a very talented team that should be one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. And it could just be they're just getting off to a tough start. Curious to see when Matt Turner can return because I believe he's still out injured. So I think it's, again, it's early. But I think there are some concerning signs for this team. You know, as... They kind of move into the next month i think the only good thing is the revolution yes it stinks to be kicked out of the Concacaf champions league because i think the team really wanted to do well in that competition and you know make a name for this team but the good news is the revolution aren't going to have aren't going to be having to play more games and so i think we'll be able to get into kind of a regular mls schedule Um, starting Saturday, April 2nd against the Red Bulls in the month of April. The Revolution also will play Miami, Charlotte again, uh, DC United, and then Miami again. So some opportunities for the Revolution to kind of figure some things out in MLS competition. So I think that probably is going to be it for uh, the Revolution. We will now get into some non new england sports things um the ncaa tournament obviously for both the men and the women kicked off last week obviously the uh, men's tournament and the women's tournament both tournaments have been rife with upsets in the first couple of rounds of the tournament so obviously with the men the first four kicking off last week i wouldn't say there were any notable games until Rutgers and Notre Dame played in that second, in that on that second night of the play-in tournament with Notre Dame winning in two overtimes, that was quite a start to the tournament. And then, obviously, the first day of the tournament you had some pretty huge upsets. St. Peter's with the upset win over Kentucky. Kentucky had a really tough time. I think a lot of SEC teams. Uh, Had a lot of trouble figuring out a rhythm. Uh, There are a couple teams that have been eliminated already. So, you know, that was a pretty shocking upset. Uh, Providence and UCLA got scarce from Akron and South Dakota State. Richmond obviously upsetting Iowa, which definitely destroyed some people's brackets, including myself. Uh, Murray State beating San Francisco in overtime. And then Crate beating San Diego State in overtime. That was a pretty... Exciting game, Michigan beating Colorado State in the first round. And then on the second day of the first round, there really were not any colossal upsets. You know, there were teams that played really close games against good teams. Chattanooga played really well against Illinois, unfortunately coming up short. You know, Notre Dame beating Alabama, they had a pretty good run. Um, for their first couple of days of the tournament, Iowa State beating LSU, who's uh, dealing with it a lot in terms of their coaching. And then the second round. On Saturday and Sunday, there were some really good games. Obviously, the big one, um, UNC beating Baylor in overtime. That was a pretty exciting game. Baylor coming back from a twenty-five point deficit uh, to force to force overtime. UNC. Unfortunately, a little too much. R.J. Davis was incredible on in that game for UNC. Michigan, the eleven seed, t- takes down third-ranked Tennessee. These are games Saturday. Um, Gonzaga survived a really good back-and-forth game with Memphis. They ended up winning 82-78, and then St. Peter's run continues with continued with a 70-60 win over Murray State, so they are in the Sweet 16 for the first time in team history. And then you had some pretty exciting games yesterday. Arizona took overtime to beat TCU. That was, in my opinion, that was probably the best game of the tournament so far. Um, Had had everything in this game. It was really exciting. Um, Duke with a very intense and interesting game. Against Michigan State, they beat the Spartans 85-76. Texas Tech with a late run to beat Notre Dame, 59-53. Iowa State with some great defense. Against Wisconsin, they win 54-49. to So now looking ahead to Sweet 16, there are four matchups on Thursday. Arkansas, Gonzaga, Michigan, Villanova, Texas Tech, Duke, Houston. And Arizona I think that you know Gonzaga has played really well in this tournament they had a bit of a scare against Memphis I expect them to win Michigan Villanova I think Michigan makes it really close in that game Um, Houston and Arizona I think could be another really good game I think both of those teams playing at a really high level right now so I think that game could be the best game of the night Thursday and then Friday St. Peter's continues their run against Purdue, Providence against Kansas, UNC, UCLA, and then Iowa State and Miami. UNC, UCLA, very much looking forward to that game, Um, but don't be surprised if Providence pulls an upset over Kansas. I think that Kansas had some issues um, in their second round game against Creighton, so I think Providence could absolutely uh, pull the upset, so... Obviously, Sweet Sixteen kicking off on Thursday, in the women's tournament. There are second round games today. Uh, quite a few. I believe that there are eight in the Greensboro region. Fourth ranked Arizona plays against fifth ranked UNC in the Wichita region. Region fourth ranked Tennessee will host or will play twelfth ranked Baylor or uh, Belmont. Excuse me. Um, and then in the, which are, still in the Wichita region, uh, Michigan and Villanova will play in the second round. It's actually interesting that the, the men's teams are going to play a Sweet 16 game on Thursday. So the women's teams play tonight at six. Belmont, Tennessee is at seven. UNC, Arizona is at 10. Over in the Spokane region, third ranked LSU will play sixth ranked Ohio State. And then in the Bridgeport region, top-ranked NC State will play ninth-ranked Kansas State that game is at four o'clock and then uh, Oklahoma against Notre Dame at six Illinois against Princeton at eight and then UConn against UCF at nine so I think in terms of looking at the bracket three number one teams have advanced to the sweet 16 Um, Iowa was taken down yesterday by Creighton that was A pretty exciting game. That was a pretty shocking win uh, for Creighton. So they advanced to the Sweet 16. They will play Iowa State. So really exciting tournament. That was kind of the major upset of the Greensboro region. And then in the Wichita region, you had South Dakota beating Baylor 61-47. That was a pretty impressive win. So I'd be curious to see how some of the games today turn out and then you have the final four that will be in Minneapolis in April so I think that's a good update for uh, both tournaments we will now get to some NHL trade deadline stuff Um, I think I'll go through some of the trades Um, Alex Ovechkin though last night did tie Wayne Gretzky for the most 40-goal seasons in NHL history. Uh, the Rangers shut out the Hurricanes yesterday. Aaron Ekblad is a week-to-week week for the Panthers. So we will take a look at some of the trades, obviously, as we announced right as the show started recording. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury getting traded to the Minnesota Wild for a conditional second second-round pick, which, you know, is. Very interesting. I think Minnesota is a team that I think I didn't know if I could take seriously based on their goaltending. But now getting someone like Fleury, that absolutely makes them a very, very good a very good team in the West. And a really tough out. Some of their trades today, Marcus Johansson, formerly of the Bruins, returns to the Capitals for Daniel Sprong. And a couple of draft picks to Seattle. Getting some picks back for some of their pieces. Um, They also had traded Mason Appleton late last night and then they had traded Mark Giordano and Colin Blackwell to the Maple Leafs also yesterday. So Seattle I think doing a really excellent job in terms of picking up some draft picks for you know players that I think weren't going to be in their future plans. I mean I think Obviously, the season for Seattle did not go the way that they wanted to, but I think this is probably the best way to approach the trade deadline, that, you know, you have some players that can get you draft picks. And I think they've already gotten a good amount of picks. Um, They also traded Jeremy Lauzon, formerly of the Bruins, to the Nashville Predators, and they got a second-round pick. So they have probably been the most active team. Uh, The Penguins acquiring... Nathan Beaulieu for a conditional draft pick. The Lightning and the Senators made a trade last night. Matthew Joseph and a fourth-round pick for Nick Paul. So he'll go to Tampa Bay. And then some other moves. Troy Stetcher going to the Kings. Robert Haig going to Florida. And then kind of the big ones, obviously Hampus Lindholm. The Bruins also getting Cody Curran, who is an AHL defenseman. I'm unsure about the Bruins' plans with him. Tampa Bay, obviously, then... Or there are some other trades, actually, that I think I forgot about. Um, really kind of the big one was uh, Brandon Hagel going to Tampa Bay from Chicago. The Blackhawks getting two top 10 picks. Or excuse me, two, two conditional picks that are top 10 pr- protected. Um, also getting Boris Kachuk and Taylor Radish. Uh, the Flames acquired Kelly Yarncroke last week for three picks. So Seattle, again, getting a lot more picks. Uh, ben Chirra was acquired by Florida. The Canadians getting a uh, prospect, a first-round pick, and then a fourth-round pick. Uh, Frank Vitrano, also a former Bruin, traded to the Rangers last week in exchange for a fourth-round pick. Now we'll kind of get to the big one. Claude Giroux obviously traded from Florida to, or traded from Philadelphia to Florida. Uh, Panthers getting a pretty elite player, so they're a team that is certainly loaded up in terms of some um, acquisitions. Obviously, losing Aaron Eckblad for a period of time is probably why they were pretty aggressive in terms of acquiring defensemen. The Bruins obviously with the other big move on Saturday. And then obviously Marc-Andre Fleury going to the Minnesota Wild. So that's all there is for NHL trades at the moment. Obviously, there will be more later today. So definitely uh, stay tuned to Twitter or NHL Network or uh, wherever you get your NHL news. So we're going to close out today, or actually, I think we're going to stick around with the NHL, take a look at the standings. I think that that actually makes more sense to do the Bruins obviously still in that first wildcard position but as I mentioned earlier they can draw even in points with Toronto if they can get a win tonight in Montreal things are getting a little bit closer in the Atlantic division the Bruins just three points back of Tampa Bay as well so there could be a lot that changes um, in that division which I think is another reason why the Bruins should absolutely try to go all in and try to improve as much as they can and improve their standing. Um, Carolina still leads the Metro with 88 points. The Rangers and the Penguins are both tied for second with 85 points. The Rangers have the tiebreaker thanks to their regulation win total. Florida is atop the Atlantic with 90 points. They lead the Conference and then Tampa Bay and Toronto. Second and third, Bruins that first wild card spot, and then Washington the second one with 80 points, just a point behind the Bruins. In the Western Conference, things are a lot more interesting, I will say. Um, Colorado, you know, leading their division in the Central and leading the Conference too, so they are in contention for the President's Trophy, as is Florida and Carolina, St. Louis is in second in the Central, followed by Minnesota, just made a big trade. Uh, Calgary first in the Pacific, an eight-point lead over the Kings for uh, Calgary with an eight-point lead in first place over the Kings. The Oilers have won five in a row. They are in third place in the Pacific, and then the two wildcard teams, Nashville and Vegas. However, however, Dallas is breathing down the Golden Knights' Back as they are just one point back, and they have three games in hand. Winnipeg is four points back, as is Vancouver. So, very interesting, especially out west. It could get very interesting for the Golden Knights. Um, I think Dallas, I think Winnipeg is still in striking distance. Not sure about Vancouver. They kind of seem to be falling, falling off a little bit. I'm curious to see how they approach the trade Deadline. So the Bruins and the Canadians will match up tonight at 7. And then there are three other games. Vegas will travel to Minnesota to take on the Wild at 8 o'clock. Edmonton will travel to play Colorado at 9.30. And then Nashville will travel to Anaheim to play the Ducks at 10 o'clock. I don't imagine that Marc-Andre Fleury will play tonight for Minnesota, but it is kind of ironic that they do play the Golden Knights tonight. So taking a look over to the NBA, we'll move, move sports a little bit. Um, thinking or taking a look at um, Steph Curry, who obviously hurt his foot in the game against the Celtics um, last week, that uh, the foot seems to be improving for him, but he's not going to push it. Um, and the Bulls' Patrick Williams will return from wrist surgery at some point in the next few weeks. So I'll take a quick look at the standings. I did also want to mention that uh, Jamal Crawford had just announced his retirement this morning from the NBA. He's a guy that I've always enjoyed watching. So um, happy trails to Jamal. Hopefully that retirement treats him well. I'm always curious to see what players choose to pursue after their their playing career. So very curious to see what's next um, for Jamal, who won uh, sixth man of the year. Three times and actually is the all time NBA leader in four point plays, which was kind of interesting. So, uh, congrats to Jamal and wish him well in his uh, post playing endeavors. So, the Eastern Conference, the Heat still lead the East by three games, and the Celtics and the Sixers currently tied for second or tied for third, excuse me, three and a half games back. The Celtics are even with the Sixers, which is kind of fascinating. Fascinating considering where they were just a, a few months ago. So the Celtics currently in position to host a first-round playoff series, which I think really should be the goal right now. Um, but certainly, top seed in the East, that's not... I don't think that's out of the question either. You know, three and a half back with 10 games to go, and the Celtics do have a head-to-head game against the Heat next week. So things could get very interesting there if the Celtics do want to try to pursue... Uh, the top seed in the Eastern Conference. So the Bulls currently in fifth, and the Cavaliers in sixth, in the play-in. Toronto is currently in seventh, followed by the Nets in eighth, the Hornets in ninth, and then the Hawks in tenth. The Raptors are just a game, or just a game back of the Cavaliers, as they try to avoid the play-in, and possibly playing against the Brooklyn Nets. In the Western Conference, you have Phoenix still with a big lead, nine-game lead over Memphis for first place. The Warriors are in third, followed by the Jazz, the Mavericks, and the Minnesota Timberwolves, who have won nine out of ten and four straight. Celtics will welcome the Timberwolves to the Garden on Sunday. And then in the play-in, you have Denver, the Clippers, the Pelicans, and the Lakers, the Nuggets, and the Timberwolves are... uh, have to have an identical record so they are uh, tied for that sixth spot in that uh first play in spot so curious to see how that shakes out uh with the play-in that's been very very interesting an interesting wrinkle to the nba so i'm excited to see how the play-in tournament shakes out it looks like the celtics are pretty clear of that but again you don't want to speak too soon so Celtics obviously against the Thunder at 8 o'clock tonight there are plenty of other NBA games on this schedule 7 o'clock games the Pelicans travel to Charlotte to take on the Hornets the Lakers travel to Cleveland to take on the Cavs and then Portland and Detroit will go at it at 7 30 the Heat and the Sixers will play that's an interesting game to keep your eye on if you're if you are a Celtics fan um, seven thirty on NBA TV. Utah and Brooklyn will play. That looks like that should be a pretty good game. And then Toronto, Chicago at eight o'clock. Also, maybe a game worth watching if you're a Celtics fan or keeping tabs on at least. Um, Washington will play Houston at eight, and then Minnesota and Dallas will play at eight thirty. So that's probably that's probably gonna do it for for me this for me this week. Uh, very much looking forward to my conversation with Mike Craddy on uh, guest Friday this week. So very excited for you to listen to that. We'll have all the reaction on the Bruins trade deadline moves. We'll also, you know, talk about some other trades that, you know, probably are the ones I talked about earlier, but we'll also talk about any other trades that may happen between now and the three o'clock deadline. So everyone, enjoy the nice weather for the next few days. It seems like the weather is starting to improve around here around New England. So um, everyone enjoy the rest of your day. And we'll be back with you guys on guest Friday later this week.